but with moments of such beautiful, poignant, ah, such good stuff. Hello, everybody. Welcome to No Script an unscripted conversation about theater's best scripts. I'm Jacob Mann Christensen. And I am Jackson Nikolai. And we are back with the third installment of our special month of the year. September is musical month. Yeah, yeah. We are three in so far. We have talked about the, you know, the smash hit Hamilton. Mm -hmm. We've talked about the classic theater mainstay Fiddler on the Roof. And now we are talking about something brand new, something that has just blown the critics away, blown away the Tony Awards. The band's visit is today. Yeah, I'm super excited. This was a completely new play to me before uh, Jacob suggested it. Uh, My wife had... uh told me about it that she had heard the Tiny Desk concert actually was the first yes, time that I yes. yeah so she showed me that concert and I saw it I was like that's really cool and then I just never got around to listening to the whole soundtrack so when Jacob brought up that we should do this one I was very excited to get to dig into a brand new play yeah I wanted to do this one as soon as we started talking about musical month I wanted this to be on our schedule because I have just loved this soundtrack since it has come out um, I, I love the the music. I love the emotion. I love the characters. It's just been so fun to listen to the soundtrack and now to get to read the book that accompanies the music and <laughs> now to get to talk about it. It's just been so fun. I'm so excited. Yeah. The book absolutely like makes the music make so much more sense. The oh, music it, is <laughs> obviously, I mean, duh, but uh, <laughs> but the, the music all on its own is beautiful and kind of ethereal in times and it's really great to listen to. I listened to it while I was working the other day, but then I read Read the book and listen to the music and it just you know the play exploded in my mind yeah it, when you did the, that. the music really makes a lot more sense in context of the script um some musicals like hamilton you know are are the, basically the whole story is in the music so you just need that some musicals like fiddler on the roof the songs are are almost separate from the story mm-hmm. or can be lifted out really well. Like you can sing If I Were a Rich Man or Matchmaker and not know the context and still find those songs to be engaging and funny and great. Yeah. And, but the band's visit is not really like those two. The songs are great, but once you've read the script, it's just so much clearer. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what, what's going on, who mm-hmm. the characters are, what they're singing about. Is just so much yeah. more clear when you know the story. So highly recommend that. If you've listened to the soundtrack and you're like, I can't get into this. I don't understand it. Well, read the script and then you'll be just as into it as I am, probably. And I and I highly recommend you sit down and if you have Spotify or if, or it's on YouTube as well, sit down and and enjoy it by actually sitting down and listening to it in the moments because it's it only runs an hour and a half actually on stage you'll be able to do it in an hour and just like sit down and it's so much fun these scenes that they just kind of snap out some of the uh, overtures are in there the interludes are in there so you can turn them on at points and read along with the the interludes as they're leading up so a lot of fun highly recommend you you listen while reading this play as well yeah, so The Band's Visit by David Yazbek. He did the music and lyrics, and Itamar Moses does the book. 
it is, like we said, it's just been a huge thing on Broadway right now. In the past, these most past Tony Awards, at least at the time of this release, it won uh, like 10 of the 11 Tony Awards it was nominated for. Yeah. And it is one of only four musicals in Broadway history to win all six of what they call the big six, like they have for the Oscars. That's best Mm. musical, best book, best score, best actor at a musical, best actress in a musical, and best direction of a musical. So it won all six of those. Only three other musicals in all of history have won all six of those. So it's a pretty big deal at the Tony Awards, which, of course, the Tony Awards aren't everything. But that is something. Yeah. (laughs) um, (laughs) It uh, it did start off-Broadway at the Atlantic Theater Company in 2016. It's been playing at the Ethel Barrymore Theater on Broadway 2017. Uh, I know that it's about to move into a tour as well. So if you have one of the Broadway touring houses near you, you might get it. Um, The two... Actors that are in the leading roles on Broadway right now, uh, and again, let's just before we go any farther, remind everybody how bad I am at pronunciations. <laughs> we did practice the ones for the characters, but I've not practiced the names of the actors. So, my apologies. Uh, I'm gonna say Tony Shalho Shalhoub, Tony something, Tony S. Mm-hmm. Um, he's playing Tufik. Uh, the the main the captain the conductor of the band um, and he's actually the actor who plays Monk in the TV series Monk so yeah. if you know and love Monk you'll know and recognize him um, and then Katrina Link or Lenk um, she is mostly a Broadway actor um, and is just getting huge praise for her performances in this musical and she's the one that you can see do a lot of stuff like just on YouTube clips yeah a lot of her songs are kind of the big numbers of the musical so you can see some of them there on YouTube and she's really quite good yeah she's she is very electrifying in the role and very kind of a, a lot of gravity whenever she's on stage is ro- rotating around her. Um, we do like to do a quick synopsis of these plays at the beginning. Uh, you will get a lot more from this conversation if you've already read the play. We're going to bounce around all over the place, but we do like to kind of give you just a little bit of what's going on. So this is a story about the Egyptians or uh, the Egyptian uh, ceremonial police orchestra from Alexandria. So the actually, it's the Alexandria. Ceremonial Police Orchestra. There we go. Found it. And I I don't know whether that's a real band, but Mm -hmm. the story is is not original to the musical. It's from a movie by the same name that was produced in 2007. Mm -hmm. So that the story comes from that, which is, you know, the same story. Yeah, and uh, they arrive in Israel to do a performance at uh, a, a new uh, an uh, Arabic center, I believe, in uh, Petatikva. Yeah, an um, Arabic cultural center that's opening. There is mm-hmm. a big ceremony that they're going to play at. Yeah, and they are so they land, uh, and Petatikva is a real city. It's just uh, it's a part of Tel Aviv, or you know, kind of just outside of Tel Aviv, and uh, they. <laughs> get the wrong directions pretty much buy the wrong bus tickets and instead go to uh beta tikva um which is uh, you heard that right they're almost the same <laughs> <laughs> almost the same except it starts with a b um and slightly different spelling and and actually reading it i like i much more understood the difference like mm-hmm. I, I knew from the soundtrack that it was 
peta tikva and beta tikva, just with a P and a B. And then you read the script and you realize that they're, they're actually spelled differently and have breaks at different parts. Yeah. So if you were being very careful, you could be pretty clear what you're talking about. Peta tikva or bet hatikva. Yeah. You could make that clear if you're careful. But if you're not careful, like human beings tend not to be, you might end up with some mishaps, as or, happens yeah. in this play. <laughs> <laughs> or if you're from Egypt and, you know, don't realize that there's right. a small town in the middle of nowhere called Betatikva. Um, so anyway, the the uh, ceremonial police orchestra gets uh, completely lost, basically, and wind up in the middle of nowhere in the Negev desert and uh, have a bunch of interactions with this small town of uh, Israeli folks out in the middle of nowhere who are basically just living out there. And they're stranded. They can't get a bus ticket back until the next day, so they have to spend the night. And this play just kind of centers around the the interactions that they have with these folks out in the middle of the desert, and then they leave. That's, I mean, that's, those are the main events of the story. <laughs> yeah. Plot wise, it's not huge. This is a relationship musical. Yeah. This is um, an emotion musical. There's not a lot of individual plot points to follow. Mm-hmm. And, you know, what they start and end the musical with is this refrain, which is that, you know, an Egyptian police for, an Egyptian police band came to a small town in Israel. You probably didn't hear about it. It wasn't very important. Yeah. That That's what they say it. about these interactions. Yeah, that and and you know you you get the feeling. So the start that's projected, and this is maybe a good place to jump off. You have you have some pretty good moments of craft within this. Uh, there's a lot. There's a couple of projections used both for language, but also in this moment, you start with a projection, right? And it's kind of a funny projection, kind of maybe, but it's also you get a little bit of the gravity of it, um, because it because it's a projection. You feel like. Um, this is this is the the almighty narrator coming down into this moment and saying this is what happened. But it's different at the end. Yeah, the the, the end bookmark is said by one of the characters, yeah. Yeah, Dina. Um she is the she's one of the people who live in the town of Betatikva. She runs a cafe and she's she's one of the main characters perhaps of the musical. The, the, really the you know, the bulk of the stage time is split off off my cuff, I'd say fairly evenly among the various storylines that are followed throughout the show. Mm-hmm. But she certainly and uh, uh, Tufik have quite a bit of like the the gravitas of the of the story is about them. And so she ends when when the band leaves. She, that's what she says about that encounter. Um, I, I'm not sure to the audience or. It's it's not a musical or, that right. Yeah. It's not a musical that makes a lot of clear distinctions like that. Are they talking to the audience? Are they talking to themselves, to each other? It doesn't really bother being very specific about that because a lot of the play is about this sort of dreamlike, ethereal presence of music, presence of the events of our lives, and so. Things like that aren't super important, but when the band leaves, that's she then takes that refrain. You know, once upon a time, a band from Egypt came to Israel. You probably didn't hear about it. It wasn't very important. Yeah, and and that 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 I, I love that you brought up the etherealness as well because the band is is 
throughout this, right? This is a musical, if anyone has seen uh, the musical Once, this is kind of similar to Once in a lot of ways. Um, the musicians are on stage, or four of them are at least, um, playing most of the music. There's there's uh, uh, some backup instruments that you don't necessarily see on stage as well. Yeah, but I suspect that there's a pit orchestra of some kind, but because the characters are band members, their musicalness... Um, is part of the show. And so they play, they're playing for each other. The script calls for some of the band to underscore certain parts of the songs. Mm -hmm. And they fade in and out too, especially as the play takes place from uh, maybe afternoon, late afternoon through until the evening. And it says leading on into evening, the musicians almost take on this kind of ghostly, ethereal, you don't know if they're there or not, but it doesn't matter. And I think that's that's a big, I, I like that you brought it up. It's a big part of it is just this, you know, almost memory, maybe kind of almost this this myth almost feeling of this, this, this story that we're we're telling. We're all going to engage in our imaginations together, and the details of, of of some of the finite things maybe don't matter as much. We're just dealing with the story of these people for a little bit. Yeah. So, Jackson, what are some of those stories? Because uh, let, let's kind of examine the things that happen to these characters. Because what happens is that the band arrives. There, there's a short scene where they're in the bus station, and there's a mix-up that happens, and then they end up in the town. And the town members, especially Dina, says, "Look, you can stay with us tonight. We'll split you up into some different places. You can. There's no hotel, so you just have to stay in people's houses." And so they do. The band splits up, and they go to different places to stay with different people. And the encounters that they have with each of their hosts make up the bulk of the musical. Um, different band members go with different people and then have those sorts of interactions. Tufik, who is the conductor, goes with Dina, and he brings uh, Hal Khaled? Halid? Khaled. Khaled along with him. Yes. Now, Khaled is... Oh, what, what should we say about Khaled, Jackson? Um, he's, um, he's a flirt. <laughs> he's a flirt. <laughs> he's, he he's the one who gets the directions wrong because he goes up to the. Well, the... <laughs> I'm not so sure about that. Yeah. Ooh, uh, this okay. is something let's, that I only noticed there, on my second read through. Um, one of the things that's confusing about these town names is that they're split up in different places, like the the whole name. So one of them is the one the wrong town is Bet Hatikva. Mm -hmm. The other one is Peta Tikva. So they have, mm -hmm. each of them are two words, and you could interchange those in ways that gets really confusing. Right. So the person who tells Khaled what town to go to the, get the tickets for t tells him wrong. If you look back to his instructions, he says, Beta Tikva, which is not a real town. That's true. That's a combination. That's the wrong combination of places. Sure, sure. So, so <laughs> you know, Khaled had the wrong instructions to begin with, which <laughs> I didn't fair. realize. I just assumed he got it wrong. And then in my second read-through, I was like, that, wait a minute. That's not the right. <laughs> That's not <laughs> right. <laughs> That's true. So, I do, I so, do see so that So the now, poor yeah. guy gets the blame. It gets yelled at, told he's going to get thrown out of the band for something that he, like, could not have gotten right if he tried. <laughs> Yep, that's now, fair. Now, he Poor. may not have tried that hard, but... Because <laughs> he was distracted. There's the scene right at the beginning. He, he like, goes up to the ticket girl, and he's, he's going to order tickets, and he gets completely distracted by her beauty, and he starts hitting on her instead. Um, and, uh, and, and then uh, gets blamed for getting the wrong tickets in that moment. 
but he's he he has this great number later on. He uh, winds up going out on the town with uh, a couple of the other characters. Uh, Poppy is another character, and Poppy and- is a town's member. He works at the diner. He, I think he's he's just like a young guy. Um, he he doesn't. He's just like a busboy, uh, a waiter yeah. at the diner. Mm-hmm. So he goes out with him and some of his friends, and it turns out that Poppy is no good at uh, dating girls or even interacting with girls. Yeah, so Poppy and one of Poppy's friends is on a double date. They're on a double date with some young ladies, and Poppy doesn't know the girl that he's supposed to be with. His friend, um, gosh, what's the friend's name? Zegler? Zelger. Zelger. uh, His friend Zelger is, I guess, dating his partner. They they know each other very well and they're in a relationship. But Poppy and his supposedly date for the evening don't know each other very well at all. So Poppy is nervous and it's revealed that he has no what what happens when he talks to girls, Jackson? What's the metaphor that that it's supposedly Oh, oh shoot, I'm spacing on it. Um <laughs> Well, in the song, he says that he basically pees his pants um, when he <laughs> because he like he says that he hears the sea. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. That yep. like when he talks to girls, all he can hear is like rushing water. Like he just <laughs> yeah. he hears the ocean. Yeah, he said <laughs> he makes that sound a bunch. So all I hear is <laughs> yep. And has this hilarious song about how he's no good at talking to girls because all he hears is the ocean. Mm-hmm. Which is just this this really goofy... This is the kind of fun thing. Like, already, you can tell, we started talking about Tufik and Dina and going to her house. We're on Halid's story right now, and this is yeah, what it's, this... It's a, it's like different bunny trails. It's a mix match. It's Absolutely. like trying to walk in the forest and getting on all these paths. We ended up on a rabbit trail, so yeah. here's where we are. Which is what you do in this story. And you wind up on this delightful little rabbit trail where he has this song. They're in the in a roller rink. There's some you know DJ music playing. And he sings this song about how awful he is as talking to girls. And then it happens right in front of him. She like falls on her skates. And everyone yells at him for knocking her down and how horrible he is. But then Khaled uh, has another song, and it's uh, Khaled's song about love, I think is what it's, it's just called that. And uh, he says, you know, rather than breaking the ice, you're trying to melt the ice. And it's this beautiful analogies that he brings out in, as well and, and helps him succeed. Yeah, for it's, the it's like flirting suggestions, basically. <laughs> right. It's like, you know, it's not about the conversation. It's about the way your lips move and how close you are. And it's just sort of a descriptor of... I don't like a really sensual conversation. Between, yeah. <laughs> I'm not sure that's how most people do their first date, Haled, right. but that's how Haled does it, and that's his advice for Poppy, and it works for Poppy. Poppy and this young woman uh, end up skating together. Yeah, pretty decently, and it goes well. Mm-hmm. And so, th- I mean, that's that's the whole of Haled's major storyline. It doesn't, it, you know, that's not a very profound thing to happen in terms of plots. Haled goes out on the town with somebody who's bad at girls. The person who's bad at talking to girls, you know, proves that he's bad by by almost injuring this person he's supposed to be on a date with. Haled says, here, let me teach you how to talk to girls. He teaches him how to talk to girls. End of story. Mm-hmm. The, uh, so, the other thing that Haled's storyline does does give is the kind of the only mention of any sort of discrimination within the Israeli community that we experience happens during, in Haled's storyline. Um, a, a guard at the rink comes up and 
and accosts him, kind of. And he says, what are you doing here? Clearly picking him out of the crowd. He's, I mean, assumedly he's still wearing these, like, at one point they're called Sergeant Pepper suits in one of the songs. Yeah, they're they're like, they're almost like blue military uniforms that the band plays in. Yeah, yep. So he's picked out of the crowd by the security guard who comes up and says, what are you doing? Are you making any trouble? Um, He says, I'm a musician. And the guard's like, play a song for me then. He's like, well, I could, but then you'd have to pay me because I'm a professional. And, uh, (laughs) being kind of snarky and the guard threatens him but you know Poppy stands up for him and it all works out and it all goes away right but that is and that's kind of what this play does I think this play could be about you know Israeli and uh, Arab relations or Egyptian relations but um it kind of just it touches on it and then it's gone, right? And it's it'd be different, I think, if it was you know someone you know if this was the you know uh, I don't know another region's uh, ceremonial police band uh, that came in. But because it's Egyptian, they're a little bit removed, and you're able to touch on that topic. Of course, it's present in everyone's mind, and then it passes on, and we're back to the other other stories that we're telling. I really well. like what you say about that, Jackson. That what the story does for so many of the plots, the subjects, the themes is it touches on it and then it moves on. It's like, you know, we've used this word a couple times, this ethereal nature kind of transfers over into the plot. And what happens is you just get sort of wisps of story and themes that float by you and and none of them are there for very long. Mm -hmm. There's probably four or five different stories that happen across the middle part of the musical while they're in the town. And with that many stories and it not being that long of a musical, you just don't spend that much much time in any one. So you don't ever go very deep or very long into plot. What you do is just get these sort of touchstone stories where you see just glimpses of lives lived out and little things change, little things are overcome. Um, but it sort of fits into what what the narrator and then what Dina at the end says about this encounter, which is, you know, it wasn't very important. The the actual plot, the details of what happened in the town, they're not very quote unquote important things. Yeah. You know, the story we just told. Somebody teaches somebody else how to go on a date. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's the whole story. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and it, it only lasts, I think, two scenes really. Mm-hmm. Yeah, two uh, songs and, and yeah, yeah, not that long at all. And just just the events roll on by. It's it 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 what it winds up doing is it allows them to say that these, I mean, these are just people, right? And and that, that phrase alone is something that I think we, we are prone to say. These are just people. Why are we paying attention to this? It's because they're people and they're deserving of this attention. <laughs> and, and, and that's enough. And I think this musical proves that it's enough by the feeling that you get from it. I mean, it'd be easy to write a musical that you walk out of going, what, why did, why? But I don't think you do that by the end of this musical. There no, is, but, there is but you're right, you almost could, right? Yeah. Because it's almost like the playwrights picked four stories that are like could almost be boring. Yeah. You know, in one of the stories, it's just basically about a married couple who are fighting. They're mm-hmm. in that stage of their marriage where things have changed. They've grown a little bit tired of the routine. And so they're just bickering all the time. And there's not really much resolution to that. No. They just sort of, you experience that part of life for a while. And there's some empathy that happens between the characters at the end. But, you know, that story passes by and goes on into the ether. Yeah. But with moments of such beautiful, poignant 
ah, such good stuff. Like the so the the person who is over there, the one of the other the band members, he's a clarinetist, I believe. Um, uh, yeah, Simon. Simon, yeah, he's working on on a uh, not a symphony, but a, a concerto. A concerto, thank you. And he plays part of it for um, Itzik who is the the owner of the house. He's a young father, and uh, Iris is his wife, and her her father, Avram, is over as well. And there's a, a bunch of beautiful scenes in there. Avram sings this gorgeous song about how he met Iris's mother, and uh, just just kind of the... The, the way that he dated, right? Like they were listening to uh, uh, a jazz song, Summertime, uh, from Porgy and Bess, uh, which is a, a classic jazz song. And, and, he, uh, and he talks about he, because Avram's in a band as well. And yeah. he, the, his story about meeting his wife, who is now uh, dead, is a story of um, he's, he's, he's playing a concert, Avram, I suppose when he was a younger man. And he's playing a lot of songs that we might recognize, like one of the songs he plays is Moon River you know, or I Want to Hold Your Hand. Yeah. Um, so they're sort of popular songs that he's playing. And while he's playing, he just tells this sort of like almost could be cheesy, yeah. maybe even is cheesy romantic <laughs> song about how he's playing from the stage and he gets to his solo and he sees her across the dance floor. Right. And he says he like f- just froze and watched her for a while um, while the band continued to play around him. Mm-hmm. And and, and so, that that song just occupies that that story just occupies the song and then it's over and gone and into the ether. Poof. <laughs> so a beautiful get... moment, a beautiful experience, a lovely story. It's funny, it's fun because the whole thing's got a pretty upbeat and the song's sort of about love and rhythm and music and how they're all tied together and but then it's gone. Yep. It just kind of floats away and Avram eventually leaves. But then, so in the course of this, we find out it's Iris's birthday and Itzik has brought these people over to the house and that's part of the, the argument that, or the conflict that they're having and she leaves. And 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 while she's gone, there's this gorgeous song that Itzik sin- sings about, you know, somewhere there's a father who's successful, basically, is the gist of the song. And that's not me. I'm sorry. I don't have what they have. He's singing this lullaby to his child. And... Again, like you're invited for just a moment into into the the uh, psyche of Itzik and 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 what's going on in this relationship, and then there's there's you know more conversation, um, but then and, the- and and the sort of the broader struggle of their marriage is that Itzik is out of work and has been yeah. for a while, and Iris is making all the money. She's a nurse for people who can't take care of themselves, and, and so. There's some tension there of they're not maybe equally contributing to the marriage in the household and, you know, stuff that just happens in your marriage. They just they, – they have the feeling of people who've been married for a while and feel stuck in a rut and are, you know, in that stage where it's just all they can do. They can't seem to get over the sense of needing to fight about everything and they, they still love each other but they they have a hard time getting out what they're trying to say and you just see this young couple struggle to hold on to something that's important to them um and and then that story is gone yep <laughs> it lasts as long as it lasts it's it, it's it's one of the stories that occupies a more a longer sweep you get more of that story than some of the other ones mm-hmm. um but uh, there's not a lot to it yeah it just kind of and and there's there's other moments moments of poignancy. He finishes his concerto by yeah. Simon comes in and and for, as a lullaby. Yeah, yeah. He's he he. So he manages to there's uh, uh the, he manages to uh 
lull the baby out of crying in the middle of an argument with them. There, uh, Iris and Itzik are arguing after she has come home. You get the feeling maybe things are coming to a, a place where they could never come back from in this moment. And he starts his concerto in the other room. Uh, and the baby begins to fall asleep. And he's played it uh, two other times prior to this. So the audience, we the audience, but also the characters, know where this is going. He stops abruptly at a point because uh, he hasn't he hasn't finished writing it yet. And then, you know, in this moment with the baby crying and the couple running to the door because Itzik has left the baby alone with a stranger, um, <laughs> they both run to the door and he finishes his concerto. Uh, he just writes it off the top of his head in front of this baby as a lullaby. And and, and then that's just beautiful. <laughs> and and then, it elicits like an emotional reaction from uh, from the young wife. And she she sort of can't help being overwhelmed by the moment. And what Simone says, which is pretty much the conclusion of the story, is he sort of looks at them, this young couple who are angry and frustrated with where they are and in a rut, and he says, you know, I'm married too. I get it. Mm-hmm. And that's basically the end of the story. It just ends with empathy. Yeah. There's no real conclusion. It just ends with someone saying, I understand. I've hmm. been there. We've we've been there. Mm-hmm. You get and like I love the metaphor of the song, the 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 song that is incomplete and then completed, because you, you know it it stops abruptly and it can never seem to move forward. Much like this young couple's marriage, it just ends at a, at a fight every time, door slam, and then finally there's this moment where he's playing for the baby and he can't stop for the baby or the baby's gonna cry. So much like their marriage, the song reaches a point where it's either got to go forward or give up. <laughs> yeah. And he he blasts forward and goes forward into new, unprompted territory and finds something beautiful. And this couple reaches a point where they either have to, you know, she, she says before she leaves earlier, I'm not sure if I have in my heart for you what I did when we were married. And so, you know, this marriage has come to a head and she comes back and they reach a point where they either got to stop at that same point and give up or blast through into something new and unexpected and into a change. And that's what they decide to do together. That's the, that's the resolution is they say, okay, we're going to come together. Up, we're upset. He says, I understand. And the, sort of the music is what gives us some resolution. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And you just get like so many of these like capstones of scenes don't necessarily show you where it's going to, what's going to end up. And yet you walk away with these like kind of warm, fuzzy feelings inside. Like maybe it is going to be okay. Um, however, the other big storyline that we, we got to spend some time talking about maybe doesn't leave you with as much warm fuzzies. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> the, the, the Tufik, the Tufik and uh, Dina. And again, if I'm pronouncing these wrong, I, I'm sorry. I, I'm sure I am. Yep. <laughs> I know. It's fine. <laughs> I'm bad at it. Probably. It just is what it is. So <laughs> if Tufik and the, their storyline, which, like we've said, kind of has the spine, the gravitas of the story is about them, somehow it's sort of hard to articulate exactly how that happens. Yeah. Maybe because we do probably see more of them than other people. Their scenes occupy multiple locations, whereas the other ones don't tend to. Anyway, their their story is not as happy, or, or maybe it is. I'm interested in, in talking about how you think that it ends. Um, but let's sort of walk through what happens with them, Jackson. Yeah, so they... Uh... 
uh, Tufik is is one of the two people who stays at Dina's house. So they meet in the bar, and right away they they spend quite a bit of the play talking to each other in one form or, the, or another. You get the sense that Dina is kind of a a leading member of the community. Um, she's the owner it's of the cafe. Sort of jaded. She's yeah. got she she's one of the people who is disappointed by her lot in life. Is bored with the town. Hmm. And and a lot of you know a lot of people talk in in the same way. Tevia is not actually in control of any anything in Fiddler, but is in, actually in control of everything in the town. She is very much that same character. Uh, a lot of things flow through her within Beta Tikva. Which interesting quick tangent. You can watch online. There there's a there's an event where actors come and perform. Uh, monologues and songs from roles they would never get cast in. It's sort of like a fundraiser. Yeah. And Katrina Link does uh, If I Were a Rich Man. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> Which is a weird tie because we just talked about Fiddler and now yeah. we're comparing her to Tevia. So you can watch her on YouTube perform If I Were a Rich Man, which is awesome. That's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah so so Tufik winds up at her house. She, he's going to stay at her house. And uh, Khaled uh, talks him into taking her out for the night. She she clearly wants to go out. And, uh, and Khaled said he'll stay behind, which he winds up not doing. And... Um, and so Tufik takes her out and they go to this uh, diner. I'll just kind of blaze through a, some quick beats of the story and we'll stop and, and rest in a couple more. They go to this diner and have this conversation about uh, Arabic music. Yeah. And, and Arabic film in general. And she's she's had quite a bit of experience uh, growing up. She would watch uh, uh, Um Khartoum. Um, um Khartoum. Oh, shoot. I need to look up the name. Um, and Omar Sharif, the whole song, this beautiful song uh, yeah, that she it's, sings. It's one of the highlights songs of the whole musical is the song she sings about the singer and this actor that she used to experience as a kid and they were they were sort of they they helped her to grow and to see sort of a broader world she talks about when they would come on the radio and on the tv screen the living room would become like a garden and things would grow yeah you know her experience broadened yeah, uh, I found the name Um Kothum and and Omar Sharif, and these are two characters that are are real life people, right? These are yeah, those are real stars. Yeah, she was a, a singer, probably the most famous Egyptian singer ever, and he was uh, uh, Omar Sharif is is was a, a heartthrob within the Egyptian film community, and then went to Hollywood as well and played in Lawrence of Arabia and Doctor Shivago. Um, so these are again connecting back to the real world. These are things that ground us there. But then she she sings this this he he doesn't believe her at first right she brings up their names and uh, uh, Tufik is like oh yeah sure you like those people right whatever because they're 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 old people even at this time that's sort of a dated reference and what they've been talking about is that the world has kind of moved on beyond the need for stories and music and while Tufik is. While both Tufik and Dina are older, they've both had a previous marriage, sort of moved beyond their child-rearing years. Um, I do think that Tufik is older than Dina. So he sort of has a sense of like, you know, you're a young person. You're part of this culture that is sort of throwing off these classical musical entertainment story traditions. She says, no, I love those two. They, they, I grew up with them. They're part of my DNA and sings this beautiful song about it. Yeah. 
And so they, they, they and and this great interaction, they quote lines back and forth from it at one point. So it's clear that they're both steeped. But then this kind of complicating incident happens. Her ex comes into the the diner or the bar that they're at, or or not an ex, maybe um, um, ex lover, maybe it, not necessarily. She's having an affair with him. Yeah, and she's not the married one. He's the married one, mm-hmm. and she is. She has in the past, potentially will in the future. I don't know. Uh, has slept with him, and he brings his, her lover, her the guy she's having an affair with, brings his wife in and child right. to the same restaurant. Mm-hmm. And so there's this like altercation between them where she like kind of tries to show off Tufik as this guy that she's bringing out, and he comes over and he's like very kind of abrasive against her and like what are you doing um you shouldn't be even be like calling me out and she's she's abrasive towards him as well she calls him out and tries to make the situation awkward and uh they leave uh Tufik kind of asks if they can leave and they do eventually um and then another gorgeous song happens, right? So the, the mood of this relationship is moving towards, okay, you know, if you're a typical theater goer, this is like, you know, they're building a relationship. This is maybe the right. love story you're, we're you're watching. You're asking the question, are they going to fall for each other? Is, yeah. Is the question of their story. In the diner, when they first meet, they seem interested in each other. Uh, they share some experiences, some outlooks, and some leadership in their respective communities, Tufik in the band, Dina in the community of the town. And then they go on this sort of date. They go out to dinner together. He takes her out on the town. She's wearing a beautiful dress, which he comments how great she looks. And both of them have come from these, for one reason or another, tough places in their relationship lives. Dina, I I suspect, was left by her husband. She really only hints at it, that he's just sort of vanished and left her. And uh, Tufik's wife died a long time ago, and we learn why, sort of a heartbreaking reason that interweaves with all of this. But you're sort of asking the question, are these two broken, hurting people going to end up together in some way? And so they go on this date, and then they come out into a, a bench or a garden outside of the restaurant. And it's revealed they, – they have a great conversation about what mm-hmm. it's like to conduct and yeah. to have people watching you and music. And eventually it's revealed that Tufik is a singer. She gets him to sing something, and he sings this, I think, what is a, a poem. Yeah. Um, and it's beautiful and she has a great sort of duet counter melody about she doesn't know what he's singing but she's it's it's about how she's not sure what's going to happen but at least something different is happening yeah and 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 i i love that that song in particular it's a it's a reprise of a melody line right it's it, it it's a uh, from Omar Sharif or the song about Omar Sharif. Um, some of the melody lines come back in, but it's completely different setting and she says different things. And that's just another, a great, she, she sings this motif quite often throughout the play. And again, we have a a motif coming back and reframed. It means something completely different. And, um, I, I love that scene. It's then then shattered though, right? Like uh, the Sammy is the is her is her uh, ex lover, maybe lover, not. Yeah. Um, uh, his name, and he comes in and he's yelling at her. He's you know they're having an altercation about you know you shouldn't have done that. Um, well, the the accusation is that Dina says, you know, I come to this restaurant. Right. It's one of my favorite restaurants. I'm here all the time. Why would you bring your wife here? She's really on him. Mm-hmm. You know, what 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 are you doing, you idiot? You know I come here. You had no business bringing her here. And Tufik intervenes as they get louder, but he intervenes on the side of Sammy. 
and it's supposed to be a confusing moment. He doesn't reveal a lot of what's going on, but he says, he like, look, this guy just made a mistake. He made a mistake. You can forgive him. It's a, it's an emotional, uh, sort of odd, weird outburst that comes on the heels of him having told her what happens to his, what happened in the past to his wife that she died. Um, and then he wants to leave as soon as he has this outburst. So she takes him, uh, away. Yeah. Which is a weird scene. And I'm, I'm, this is, this is honestly the one moment in the, in the play that I'm not like, I don't see the connection 100% yet. Um, I, I've, I've read it, read it through twice and I'm still trying to grapple with it because he has this very strong emotional reaction, um, saying he just made a mistake. It's not his fault. You should just forgive him all caps, just forgive him or something like that, uh, in the script. And he's yelling at her. Um, and, and yeah, it's very unexpected. You expect him to kind of intervene. The other thing is that they're speaking Hebrew the whole time. And, and assumedly Tufik doesn't speak Hebrew and she's translating to him occasionally, but then the argument gets really heated and he, and he doesn't grasp I, I, if he if he doesn't speak hebrew he he's not grasping the full context of the situation and yet he intervenes on behalf of sammy and not on the person that he has been spending the evening with which is a a, a jarring moment as as a watcher of this right Right, and it, it, I mean, it has to reveal something deeper about his emotional place. He's in a place where he's finally told her that his wife dies. It's something, or died. It's something he doesn't like talking about. He's in an emotional place because of, you know, wondering what's going to happen with this woman, etc. And what he, what he, what he outbursts is, you should forgive him. He made a mistake. In the next scene between them, he's he's sort of apologizing for his outburst. He reveals that his wife died because of a mistake that he made. Yeah. And his mistake was always yelling at his son. He was constantly riding his son for every little mistake he made, yelling at him, being mean, being abrasive. And that led his son to kill himself. And... Then his wife, because of the sorrow of that, she died as well. We're not told how. And so I think the connection is he's trying to say something to Dina, not angrily, but emphatically as a warning. You can't, you can't get on somebody about every little mistake. You got to just forgive. You got to just move on and forgive. Mm-hmm. If we, you can't ride somebody like this. It, I have this, he has this deep connection to feeling guilty about yelling at someone about their mistakes. Yeah, which is like this uh, a very this is why this relationship doesn't necessarily end with the the fuzzy feelies, but it is a very real relationship, right? Like he is this is a character who has a past that justifies this. Uh, maybe maybe it's maybe it doesn't make sense and is very rude in the scenario um, as it is, but yet his past justifies it, and they don't they don't necessarily wind up together that night. Again, a dose of kind of realism in a play that's you get you you you're kind of deceived and not deceived. You're cajoled into feeling that it is kind of this idealized, almost uh, telling of a tale, right? And you're you're ready for this to kind of wind up okay in the end. And they you know they kiss and make up. Yeah, sort of these thing. two broken souls find each other in the darkness and you know come together and fulfill each other in in ways that they both need. And that's not really how the story ends. Maybe. Maybe. So 
Tufik and Dina go back to their apartment after this encounter and these things that he's revealed about his past, how broken he is, how, you know, this grief that he has to get over. Um, and they meet Khaled, who says he's been back. So they all go, all three of them go back just, just to go to sleep. Um, and Dina wants Tufik to stay up and drink some wine potentially because she's trying to, you know, entice him and seduce him as part of their growing relationship in a, in a good way, in a, in a positive connection way. So she says to him, uh, don't you want some wine? I have some. She's trying to get him to stay up. And Tufik's response is, no, not tonight. Not for me. It's too late. Yeah. And he leaves Khaled in there with her and then sort of watches from the hallway for, I think, maybe one of two things. Either to see, on the one hand, if she will be seduced by Khaled and is thus the kind of girl who would be seduced by a guy like Khaled, just in it for anybody. It's it's sort of like maybe a test. Um, So that's why he's watching. Or what I maybe think is that he earnestly believes that that time of romantic relationship for him because of his hurt is over. And he can't give that to her, but he knows that Khaled can. And so he says, I'm going to go... I want this to happen between you two because I don't, it's too late for me. It's sort of a, the double entendre uh, on his response to the wine. She says, do you want some more wine? He says, it's too late for me. Yeah. Yep. I, I, I think I agree with that interpretation as well because uh, he also has a couple lines to Khaled in that, which is, you know, don't stay up too late, but he also calls him son, right? So it's not this moment of, don't stay up too late, you jerk. Like, why are you, <laughs> you know, I'm so glad you're here. Um, it's, it, 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 it's not, it, I think, I think in that moment, I agree with that second interpretation of it, that, that he's, I think he is, uh, removing himself from the equation because he thinks he is unable to anymore. Yeah. Or too hurt. Or the other thing that, you know, we, we brought up that he had this relationship with his real son of constantly being on him angry with him, upset with every mistake. And that's sort of his relationship with Khaled as well. He is constantly riding Khaled. Yeah. He's this young guy, wants to kick him out of the band. And so the other thing that might have happened that maybe leads me to the second conclusion is that in that encounter with the ex-lover in the park, Tufik maybe came to a realization about his own treatment of Khaled as well. That, you know, I, <laughs> this is me too. I'm still mm. doing this. Yeah. <laughs> and so the end the end of the musical for him is him deciding, you know, these two people both need something from me. Hmm. And mm-hmm. I can offer it to them by simply removing myself. I can't offer Dina what she wants. I can't offer Haled really what he wants. But what I can is put these two people together. Maybe they both can find something different, something new in this encounter. Yeah. And then you have that kind of touching scene at the end, right? They're leaving. He says goodbye to Dina and she gives him a slip of paper, right? And she says that it has uh, Petatikva on it, the correct like spelling. Like the right spelling so yeah. they can actually find it. <laughs> right. Yep. And and I don't think he ever opens it. There's uh, So, you know, there's there's room for there being more on that than just the name of a city. Um if, if you want to imagine that way. But they have this this moment where he clearly is emotionally affected by their time together. Um, I think that's just taken care of in the stage direction, so it's up to the actor and the director to figure out what that means. But, um, but, but it is clear nonetheless, though this did not end in like a fairy tale way, that this time, uh, of the things that 
and uh, of the of the uh, of the events that happen that ha- bear some weight afterwards, I think their relationship does bear some fruit post this play. Um, I think of the things that really mattered was that they met. And it, it, you know, it may be that Tufik made the wrong decision, that he should have allowed his relationship with Dina to go forward. Because what did he really offer her at the end of the play? Not something different, something she already has. I mean, she's already got a lover, Mm -hmm. somebody who's just some guy who tells her she's pretty and she sleeps with him and they have, you know, and then they move on and they're awkward the next day. She's already got that with Sammy. That may be one of the reasons why we're introduced to that character so jarringly, so forcefully, Mm -hmm. is that we, we remember that. And then that's all that Tufik really offers her in the end. He says, look, you can choose. He doesn't say, you know, he says his choice is I have this, you know, we have a deep connection together, something real, something different. Mm-hmm. Or Khaled is just some guy. You, hey, you've, you've spent 10 minutes with him across the whole play, um, but he'll he'll sleep with you and you can have that encounter and, and have it be nothing more than that. Mm-hmm. And Tuvik does, takes away the choice really and says, you don't, not, nothing different. Right. The same. Yeah. All the same. It's yep. like he's afraid of something different. Yeah, and just and just moves away as well. I think Dina is really interesting in that in that that whole storyline as well. Like she she is this character. She says she was going to be a dancer and she could have gone somewhere. She was influenced by film and music growing up. You know, she clearly had dreams for herself and uh, they were not fulfilled ultimately. She runs a diner in a town that feels like what so many of us experience in small towns, right? Like it's all interconnected. You're worried about who yeah, you're going to bump into at the restaurant. They have great song, which is like the opening song of their part of the musical. And it's just about how the town is so boring. Yeah. It's really, it's really a song in two parts. The first one is just called Waiting, and it's just about how everybody in the town is waiting for nothing. Yeah. Nothing ever happens. We're just all constantly waiting. Nothing will change. the band shows up, and they say, we were looking for this other town, but, and the townspeople sing a song about how you didn't end up in that awesome town over there. You ended up in this crappy, boring town here. <laughs> yeah, and, and I, I love that song, if, if nothing else but for the line, stick a pin in the middle of the desert. <laughs> And then make a road to that pin, pour cement around that pin, and you have this town. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, they have some great descriptions of how terribly boring the town is. And that's one thing we didn't really talk about. You know, we talked about the beautiful drama, the touchstone humanity of the play. Um, But, Jackson, would you agree or disagree if I said this is a comedy? I think I ah uh, who I don't think you could pigeonhole it into a comedy, but uh, a comedy. But this is a, a very funny play. Um, but I don't think I would go as far to call it a comedy. I w- I think I would almost call it a comedy of manners or a comedy of of interaction. I mean, so much of the play is about how people who are very different, who have different ideals sort of react to each other's differences. Right, yeah. You know, Simone, who's got this concerto, he never finishes. That's the that's the stuck-in-a-rut waiting that he's in, meets yeah. this young couple <laughs> who says, well, just smack you over the head, just finish it, you dummy. Right, right. Just write the other part of the song. 
And then to them, who's this stuck in this marriage, this rut, he says, hey, don't worry, you're going to get past it. <laughs> Everybody who's been married has been in a rut like that. Just move on, you dummies. Right, right. And that's sort of the whole thing, is that these people who don't have any connection before the play, these strangers, come together and their mannerisms, their cultures, their, uh, their identities clash and then are subtly, smally, you know, smally is a terrible word, but <laughs> subtly is a better, I should have just Stuck with that, Stuck Jacob. With subtly. <laughs> subtly changed. Um, not in a big way. In, in a in a maybe, you know, as the play claims, maybe in an unimportant way. Mm-hmm. I, I that that's a strong point, and I do I I, I I I love the comparison to a comedy of manners, and that's totally what is happening, is these people with vastly different viewpoints are clashing together, and something maybe beautiful, but maybe different is all that we get comes out of it. I think I think what uh what uh, leaves me hesitant to just say it's a comedy is um, there. There are scenes of uh, such poignancy in it as well. Um, they don't. I don't think they fully cross over into a, a very dramatic moment or anything like that. But um, especially Dina has like maybe four different songs that are just gorgeous and evoke emotion as well. Um, it's a it's a really touching human story that's also very funny. Yeah. And it's sort of a comedy of manners in the way that it's 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 uh, satirizes stereotypes different social groups. Some of it that we've talked about is just sort of about the difference between Israelites and between uh, Egyptians and between people in that part of the world. Um, so it's a comedy of manners in that way that it plays on these different social groups and these different mu- you know mu- musicians versus non musicians as well and, and things like that. But it's also like a beautiful. It's like somebody wrote a journal of just like, let's just collect all the little things that happened when this band was here, write them down in this little time capsule, stick it in the ground, and 20 (laughs) years later, we'll just pull it out. Hey, look, this band came. You know, 20 years ago today, there was a band here. Look at all this weird stuff that happened. Yeah, I remember that guy. Wow. Yeah, 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 yeah. (laughs) I I have a couple of things I really wanted to talk about, so let's see if we can get at least a couple of them in. Sure, sure. So the the play is in English. It's a musical in English with some Hebrew and then some Egyptian. Egyptian, um, you know, because they're those people. Jackson, do you remember why they decide to talk in English? Well, it's because they don't want to be rude, right? Um, for for a good chunk of it, the the the, the locals are talking to Dina, and uh, and she eventually, I think, is the instigator for moving them over into English um, because they don't understand each other's languages, the band and the townspeople. Yeah, and they all happen to speak English. That's one of the conveniences of the play, mm-hmm. but it works because it's going to play in English speaking countries. Right. Yeah. But what? I, that does something for me uh, for the themes and the way the characters talk because for none of these people is English their first language. So this is a play about people talking in a second language to each other. Mm, And mm -hmm. I love the way that it forces the characters to speak sort of carefully, um, maybe simply. They don't, they don't have a, as broad a vocabulary as a native speaker would. So their, their sentences aren't always grammatically correct, but what they're really trying to get out is just the core of what they're saying. Yeah, and, and what winds up happening is they wind up helping each other communicate because you have people who are grasping for the right word in the scenario and and though the the person the other in that scenario that they are talking to may not be an awesome English speaker they happen to know that word 
And so they, they'll they interpose and be like, oh, yeah, this word. And they're like, yes, yes, this word. And so you have this moment of really shared, uh, a, a forced way to make community happen, right? If you're both trying to communicate in different languages. Those of you who have ever done a study abroad or something like that, and you know a little bit of German or something like that, and uh, you manage to talk to someone who is also not from Germany, but you both know a little bit of German and you help each other communicate, that 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 happens in this play and is a great way that they build community that way. Yeah, like like listen to this line. Dina is trying to ask Tufik what it's like to conduct. And she's speaking in a language that is not her own. And this is the sentence that she asks. Um, uh, how does it feel, I mean, to do music, to have the orchestra? How does it feel to have all the people waiting for you and all the eyes for you? And, you know, I mean, that's not a sentence that a native English speaker would say. Right. Because we would have a more fluid use of the language. But that sentence is better. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's a more yeah. evocative sentence. Yeah. That's a much more gripping way to, you know, it's like they pair the character struggle internally to say what they're really trying to say, to get out the true emotions, to have real communication with each other. Because of this language thing, they're able to pair that with an actual, that same struggle with the language. That that internal struggle becomes an external struggle with actually saying the words. Mm-hmm. That they that they must help each other out if they want if they want to have this relationship. You have to overcome this, um, and and really get out what you're trying to say. And if very short amount of time in one night they have to try and, to form and these in relationships. words that aren't just it's there's not a lot of extra words yeah they don't have extra words to say so what they end up saying are sentences that are designed to be just as clearly communicative as they can be mm-hmm. without the need for you know uh, p- paying off grammar you know getting rid of they just they're able to just get at the core of their intention in a way that a native speaker of a language can't sometimes yeah the other thing that happens with the language is, is that we, we kind of get invited. I think this play did a really good job at balancing the use of language, and you don't get translations for all of it. I think unlike um, Bengal Tiger at the Baghdad Zoo that we did, where you don't get many translations most of the time, um, you get some translations in this one. There's a couple projected translations uh, that you get to fully understand, but the the lines, especially when arguments heat up with people who uh, share a language other than English, uh, lines get thrown around in Hebrew and in Arabic, and uh, you still get the gist of them, I think. I don't think you ever hit a moment where you're completely in the dark. Um, the argument still allow the audience to experience them as as the foreigner in that situation too which is kind of a fun experience to to get to sit in yeah absolutely i think one thing that we haven't talked about yet which is probably you know a crucial piece of the show is the telephone guy oh i i'm yeah i'm so glad you brought him up at the end because it's a beautiful one so all throughout the musical, there is the the various characters run across this gentleman in the street who's just waiting by a public telephone, and they always interact with him. They say, "Oh, has she called yet?" And he says, "No, she hasn't called yet, but she's going to call soon." He waits there. You learn every day for his girlfriend to call, uh, just waiting for her to call so they can talk. She is away for some reason, um, and he's there the whole musical, three or four times. He's asked, "Has she called yet?" "Nope, not yet, but she'll yeah. call soon." And then at the end, in the kind of the final building musical piece, sort of like, you know, we'll talk next week about Next to Normal, sort of like the end of that song about mm-hmm. the light. It's sort of it's a similar feeling, the end of this this song. He, he finally gets the call and he talks to her and then he gets to sing this sort of ending song about 
about the connect, human connection yeah. and things like that. Love that because that metaphor of waiting because a lot of the musical is about these townspeople waiting. And he's mm-hmm. a character who's actually just standing by a phone <laughs> <Yeah>. waiting. <laughs> the whole play. Talk about like just things that you touch on and leave behind, right? Like th- that this play is doing. You just touch on him and and then you walk away. Like literally the characters walk away from this guy just standing by a phone all the time. Um, one, one and of then th- when he gets the call, that's the end of the story. Yeah. <laughs> you don't like listen to a lot of the call. There's not more plot where he breaks up with her or she right. tells him that she's pregnant. Yeah. You know? That he gets the call and it's like, oh, my story's over. I got a call. <laughs> right. And yet your heart bursts with happiness it because joy, he, yeah. he walks away from the phone during that song. He walks away and leaves and he, you know, exits the light of a spotlight. You imagine. Like, and, he's, like he's convinced she's not going to call. Right. Like he's upset and, ah, oh, man, we're not going to get to talk today. And he walks away depressed and then. The phone rings and then he comes running back. There's this great 360 video of this song on YouTube that they, that they did for a promotion you can watch it on youtube and he just runs to the phone and answers and there's joy he's like talking about the sweater that she made him it's just like simple stuff and you're like you're this this emotion overwhelms you that oh thank goodness yeah, it, it's a little it. story it's a touchstone yeah just a small a guy waits for his long distance girlfriend to call he waits and waits she finally calls and the story's gone mm-hmm which I think is why this play has kind of wormed its way into people's hearts and won 10 of 11 Tony Awards it's, it's for this. It's beautiful. It's, it's, it's small. It's human. You know, I love the, the question of importance that the musical poses. Because on the one hand, a musical like this is very important. Obviously, it's won Tony Awards. It's yeah. huge in the world right now. I mean, it's an important cultural feat. For lots of reasons, for reasons of representation, for reasons of cultural awareness, for reasons of story. I mean, you know, seeing it, even just reading it and listening to the soundtrack, it has an important role in my life, in my outlook, you know, in my, it's an important, on my Spotify soundtrack playlist, (laughs) it's an important part of that. But the question the musical poses is, are these interactions, if they were to really happen, that important of interactions? And- in a, you know, I'd like to say that the answer is no, but in an uplifting way. Right, right. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I absolutely hear hear what you're saying, though, because like, it, it's like no, they're not important, and that's why they're important, or or right. something it's, like it's that. Like this, the musical this... is saying, look, all these these things happen to people, and they're not important things. And that's okay. They're still valuable. Right. You know, it's okay if your life isn't something grand and important. If you aren't the person that saves the world or invents cancer, you can have small, everyday, seemingly, quote unquote, unimportant things happen to you and your life still be valuable, still mean something to someone else. It is still worthy of time to hear these stories nonetheless, to make a Broadway musical about them, to interact with people, to broaden your scope of the world, to include more stories of more people from different viewpoints. And that is a worthy pursuit all in and of itself. Right. It's like a challenge. It's like a challenge that says, look, you think that there are some stories that aren't worth the time it takes to tell them on Broadway? Well, here's five of the most boring stories in the world (laughs) told in a way that presents them as something serious and valuable. Yeah. 
And when you tell stories like that, they become important and serious and valuable, despite the fact that, you know, interactions that some people had on the other side of the world between just them and their families have no real importance in my life. Right. I mean, I don't I don't super care what people on the other side of the world do inside their own homes. Right. And but yet this is a story about how those those stories matter. Yeah. And how your life can be enriched by interacting with those stories nonetheless. Yeah, well, we're coming to the end of our time again. Uh, this this is a fantastic play. We hope you've read it and that you've enjoyed this conversation. If you have things to add to this conversation, we'd love to continue it with you. There's there's all sorts of other perspectives that we maybe have not accounted for. And if you have one of those, please find us on social media or in a coffee shop if you are near us and have the conversation. We love talking about plays and we'd love to keep talking about with them with you. So Find us on uh, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at NoScriptPodcast, or you can email us, uh, NoScriptPodcast at gmail.com, and we'd love to hear your thoughts on this really beautiful, uh, evocative play. Our podcast is hosted on Podbean, on Spotify, on Apple Podcasts, on Google Play. If you like what you heard today, you've liked our other episodes, if you'd please share this episode or another episode that you love, you know theater people that like scripts. I guarantee you that you do if you're listening to this podcast. So if you'll share it, other people might be able to experience the stories as well. Also, if you have the time, leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or on Facebook. That helps us as well as we try to gain some visibility and some traction to continue to talk about these stories, this this great treasure of literature, which is dramatic literature. Yeah, and uh, and uh, tune in next week for the exciting conclusion of Musical Month. We'll be talking. Woo-hoo. Yeah, yeah, we'll be talking about Next to Normal next week, which is a, a great play. I think we'll be uh, delving in some more psychological areas than we did this in, in this play, and, and really in any of the plays, <laughs> any of the musicals so far. It's a really deep, good play. So I'm looking forward to that conversation, and hope you are too. But until then, I am Jackson Nikolai. And I am Jacob Mann Christensen. Thanks for tuning in. This is No Script, the podcast. See ya.